today will be a fun service. Today is a fun service. Uh, Faith mentioned that we'll be focusing on this, this hymn, this carol, Charles Wesley's carol. And I just want to share these, these words with you. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fear and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, over these next few moments, and Lord, over these next few weeks as we look toward the celebration of your birth, we know that all is not right in the world. We know that all is not necessarily right in our own lives, and we long, hope, expect, anticipate, need you to show up. So in these next few moments, God, we ask that you give us ears to hear what you have for us. And Lord, I ask that you take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So during our sermon study last Wednesday, we have two different sermon studies each every each week, one on Monday over Zoom and one on Wednesday, and Aubrey Gray asked if we could remember a Christmas present that we were excited to receive, a Christmas present from childhood that, that we were just excited to receive. So I want to ask the same question of you this morning. What is something that you remember as a child just waiting for Santa to bring, or something that you are looking toward and hoping for this coming Christmas. You can turn to one another. Again, it's okay to have fun in church. You can turn to one another and share what's, what's something that you've hoped for or, or hoped for in previous years um, for Christmas. Turn to one another in chat. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious, and I'm only going to call out a few people. Brendan, what's something that you remember looking forward? Legos. Legos. Amen. Uh, Anything else? Anything else? Darv, do you remember waiting for something? Do you remember waiting for something on Christmas morning? Something you're excited to receive? Yeah, the the house that you're selling in Colorado. Uh, what about this group? An, an organ? Wow. An electric organ. What about from the choir? A trampoline. It was just last year, right? Jim, something that you couldn't wait to receive. A green sparkle bar- bicycle. What about from the bass section? Oh, you're not the bass section, but you can still share. Chatty Cathy. Anybody else remember looking toward Chatty Cathy? What about from the bass section? Uh, 
A trumpet. A, a snare drum. I, I think you... Kirby, we knew about the guitar. We didn't know about the little drummer boy thing that we we're going to have doing on Christmas Eve. Uh, I, my answer to Aubrey's question came pretty quickly. I, I can't remember exactly how old I was, 11 or 12 years old, um, but I couldn't wait to receive my first surfboard. I grew up watching my cousin surf, and it was so cool. I, I, I grew up with a few of my friends having boards, and I couldn't wait to have my own. Now, in all reality, that anticipation, I didn't have to wait that long, right? But, Piper, how, how far away does Christmas seem right now? Is it far, far away? Yeah, it's, it's far away. Advent is about embracing the waiting. Whether we're a child looking toward a, a present under the tree, an adult looking toward a time when things will improve, whether that's in our own lives, whether that's uh, our, our own lives at home, whether that's in our work life, whether that's in our country, it's anticipating. Or, or maybe it's something like waiting for a Savior. This season reminds us to lean into that waiting, to lean into that anticipation, which is both exciting and nerve-wracking. And sometimes it's even downright scary. It's exciting, it's nerve-wracking, it's scary all at once. Come thou long-expected Jesus speaks to what we feel as we wait. To that kind of stirring inside as we wait. Fear, hope, and everything in between. It's Charles Wesley's second most popular carol. Those of you that are hymnologists, it's a thing. Those of you that are hymnologists, can you guess of his most popular carol? Don't answer. His most popular carol. I'll give you one hint. The peanuts made it famous. Hark the herald angels sing. Hark the herald angels sing. Now, I didn't just choose to focus on this carol during Advent because I think it's a great song, though I definitely do. I, I chose it because while it describes the, the exhaustion and the weariness that we, we often experience at one point or another in our lives, it also invites us to find rest in Jesus as we journey through those difficult times and those difficult seasons. Now, in addition to having uh, hymns and carols and songs that we, we typically read or, or sing during the season, and we're actually going to have the opportunity, we're doing things a little bit different. Um, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year, and so uh, we will have our, our regular service at 10 a.m., but our 10 a.m. service will be a carol sing where you all get to choose what carols we're singing, otherwise known as Stump Ed. As, as Stump, Stump Ed, so, so uh, out on the courtyard today, there's a box where you can write down different Christmas songs that you want us to sing on Christmas Eve morning at 10 o'clock. And so I'd encourage you to write them down, and I, I'm sure we can all think of, of favorite Christmas carols. Um, but in addition to those Christmas carols, there's also scripture passages that we, we always typically read during the season. You know, we read from Luke, the birth narrative. We read from Matthew Mary's song. One of those passages comes from Isaiah. Actually, multiple of those passages come from Isaiah. And, and I think it's uh, important to understand kind of the setting of Isaiah before we turn there, before we read through multiple passages of Isaiah that you'll hear in the coming weeks. 
The first part of, of his prophecy was written uh, or spoken in the 8th century before Christ. When most of Israel's people lived in Judah and they were on the cusp of being kind of kicked out of their homes and led into to exile. They were terrified and they needed God to show up. The second section of Isaiah addresses when they were leaving to Babylonian exile. And again, they're terrified and they need God to show up. And the, the last part comes from after they've returned from exile. Jerusalem didn't look anything like the city that their ancestors had, had described. And again, what do they need? They need God to show up to help them as they rebuild the city. So our passage this morning comes from that third part of Isaiah. Things are, are better than they were in exile in some ways, and in other ways, there are all kinds of challenges. They, they needed God to show up. So Isaiah prays on behalf of his people, asking God to show up, and, and he says this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sin forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I'm guessing that at one point or another in your life that, that each of us has prayed a short and poignant prayer. Help! God, a little help. A little help right now. It would be awesome. Maybe some of you prayed that this morning on your way to church. The, the day that Piper was born was one of the days that I, I prayed that prayer. I shouted that prayer in my car. It was Sunday afternoon, three weeks before uh, she was due. Uh, we were in Orange County. We lived in Orange County, and I had a wedding to officiate in San Diego. So after church, I got in my car, and I, I drove down to San Diego and stopped at my parents' house to change in to my suit to officiate the wedding. Now, I couldn't have been at their house for more than five minutes when my phone rang. And my phone rang, and it was Haley on the other side. Um, and it's never a good idea to hang up on your wife. But it's definitely not a good idea to hang up on your wife when she's calling to say that her water broke. And that's what I did. She told me the news, and I, immediately I, I hung up on her because I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I ran out of the bathroom. I got back in the car and started driving north up the freeway that I had just driven south on. Along the way, I called the couple that I was supposed to officiate their wedding for and said, hey, the backup person is coming. Then I called the backup person and they, they went. And then I remembered, oh, I hung up on Haley. I should call her back too. Um, 
Well, if you've ever driven through Camp Pendleton on a Sunday afternoon, you know that it's a mess. It's always a mess for, for no good reason. Starting in Oceanside, going all the way up to Mission Viejo, it's worse than the 405. My, I tell my San Diego family that all the time. It's awful, and I don't know why, because there's, no, there's nowhere to exit. It's, it's awful. So I'm sitting in my car while a neighbor's taking Haley to the hospital, and what's my prayer? Help. A little help. Now. Not in five minutes. Not in ten minutes. Now. Can you part the rows of cars like you parted the Red Sea so I can get there in time for the birth of my daughter. Well, I got there just in time for Piper's birth, walked in with the doctor. But that whole time sitting in my car, I was, I was full of anticipation. All of the shouted prayers, the feeling being stuck with absolutely nothing I could do on my own to move forward, it was stressful. And I think we have all been there. As Isaiah prays in the passage we just read, we see echoes of that help prayer. It's a part of a longer section where Isaiah is is reaching out on his people's behalf. Before the section that we read, he, he says things like, he prays things like, God, look down from heaven, from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your might today? Where are they? Where is your tenderness? Where is your compassion? Why are you withholding them from us? And after that, we read our holy and glorious temple where our our ancestors praised you. It has begun to burn with fire and all that we treasured lies in ruins. Help. Help. Where are you? Now, the first four verses of what we just read remind us that God meets us in those prayers, that God meets us in the help prayer. Eugene Peterson translates the first words from Isaiah 64 this way. Oh, that you would rip open the heavens and descend. Make the mountains shudder at your presence once again. There's a, a reminder that God has shown up before. Isaiah says, hey, remember what you did before. Can you do that again? Help. So there can be comfort That God will meet us in our longing. But this isn't just a wish. This isn't just the the sort of wish like something we make when we blow out our candles or something that we do when we we flip a coin into a, a fountain. It's the deep yearning that every human has in one form or another to experience the divine. God, show up. Where are you? Show up. It's asking God to reveal God's self in a way that changes our lives and that transforms our circumstances. So as we journey through Advent, where are the places that you need that to happen? That you need God to transform a circumstance, a relationship? Where? The second section of this candid prayer reminds us of our greatest need. Isaiah doesn't shy away from the human condition. He says that we're we're all unclean. Our attempts of righteousness are like filthy rags and shriveled up leaves. Our sin is blowing around in the wind. Isaiah is acknowledging that no matter what we do, we can't seem to get out of our own way. Anybody ever feel like that? You just can't get out of your your own way? 
I'm sure we can all think of examples of how that looks in our lives, places where we just feel that we constantly fall short, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try. (laughs) Parenting is a harsh reminder of that for me. The kids are always watching, always listening, and it's not all that uncommon for them to say or do something that catches my eye or catches my ear and makes me cringe, not because of what they've said or what they've done, but because they've heard me say it and watched me do it first and are holding up a mirror saying, well, you said that word. As Isaiah acknowledges his people's sin, we're reminded to approach God with humility while recognizing our great need, our dependence on God's mercy. Every time we approach God in confession, that's exactly what we're doing. We're humbly coming to God and saying, help. So what might it look like for you to spend some time in honest confession this Advent season? Maybe it's finding time to sit down and journal. Maybe it's prioritizing having the conversation with someone that you've kind of been putting off for a while. Or maybe it's finding some time this next week. Normally we'd be celebrating communion today because it's the first Sunday of the month, but instead, because the day looks a little different, we're doing it next week. And every time that we gather for communion together, we take time for a prayer of confession. What might it look like for you to actually prepare for that prayer of confession next week? You've got a week's time. What might it look like to say, hey, huh, here's some things that I need to wrestle through. The season of Advent gives us a block of time to be intentional. And it's a good idea to spend a portion of that reflecting on our own brokenness and recognizing, on God's, recognizing that God offers forgiveness. We started our, season, our service this morning with lighting the first Advent candle of hope. And there's a reason that it's the first candle of the season. It sets the tone. It sets the tone for everything to come, for the entire Advent journey. We don't have to look at all the hard things in the world to be reminded, or we don't, I should say we don't have to look all that hard to be reminded of all the brokenness around us. We see it in the news. We hear about it as we listen to conversations. We, we feel it in our own aching bodies. We know. We know. And Christmas, it reminds us that God entered that broken world. But Advent... Advent reminds us to be hopeful as we wait for God to answer those help prayers. Isaiah writes, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our shouting, help, we are being molded by the Father. It's this beautiful image of God being the master potter and we being the clay. I'd encourage us to remember that image during Advent. This year, that God is constantly forming and molding us. We are constantly being molded by our Creator, and that first line of Come thou long expected Jesus reminds us that the one who molds us is the one that we cry out to, and is the one who gives us hope. So as you light candles in your homes today after making wreaths out in the courtyard, or if you already have an Advent wreath in your house, be encouraged and be reminded of the hope that can come in the waiting. Let's pray.
Loving God, in this season of anticipation, we're well aware of the weariness in our world. So we collectively pray, help. Remind us that you're the source of our hope and that you are always molding us, always working in us, molding us for your purpose. We pray these things in your name. Amen.